1: You know, why is it that when I move my body to music, it's so empowering,
0: it's so liberating? What's up and welcome to the Live Your Personal Best podcast. This is the place where I help current and former athletes like you to show up confidently in the gym and in life. I'm your host, Emily Kaufman, a former division one athlete and author of Elite to Everyday Athlete. I'm gonna show you how to stay motivated in reaching your goals and how to have more fun doing it. So let's sweat it out and start living your personal best. Hello, hello. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Live Your Personal Best. Today, we are joined by Kelly McGonigal, and she's talking to us today about her book, The Joy of Movement. And this book explores how physical exercise can be a powerful anecdote to the modern epidemics of depression, anxiety, and loneliness. And so, you know, I read that and I absolutely loved it. I was like, yes you know, talking about having a bi-body connection in exercise without needing to focus on anything externally or focusing even really on the body or appearance or any of that, right? I absolutely love all of her work. Today's conversation, we talk about the hope hormone, we talk about why music helps us, how intensity in your workout matters, the community matters, just all of it. You're going to love it. So with that, let's jump right in. Yeah. So I'm so excited to talk to you because I think that a lot of like coaches and trainers and influencers are now talking about this idea of mind-body connection, but you actually specialize in it and you study it. So I'd love to ask you like, what is mind-body connection and why it's so important?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. I sometimes start by saying that your mind is in your body. I mean, we human beings are embodied and that means everything from when you have an emotion, it instantly includes and affects your heart, your immune system, what's happening in your muscles. But also at the same time, there's feedback. So it also means that how you take care of your body, how you move your body feeds back into your mood and your mental health and your sense of self. And so you know, I think of it as being this, this feedback system where the reason I got interested in it was because... I, am somebody who has experienced, this is like innate challenges, both related to physical pain and chronic pain since I was a kid and also a tendency towards things like anxiety and depression. And so I felt like, okay, mind, body, there's gotta be a way into this that can allow me to, uh, to deal with and relieve whether it's the physical pain or the anxiety and depression. And little did I know like what a magnificent Um, feedback loop I would find through movement, which is my main sort of medicine of choice now.
0: Yeah. No, I've definitely, you know, heard people talk about it a lot where it's like, oh, you know, you like the physical movement helps with the mental issues, but I've never heard like feedback be used in that way before. That's so interesting. I mean, like, so one of the examples
1: that, that I talk about a lot that I think is kind of mind blowing when, when you think about the mind body relationship um, has to do with something I call hope molecules. So This is the, this is the very recent discovery that when you contract your muscles through movement, like walking or swimming or strength training or whatever you're doing, gardening, you're using your muscles and muscle contraction that is sustained releases, uh, molecules into your bloodstream that are basically antidepressants. They are molecules that travel through your bloodstream to your brain, where they make your brain more resilient to stress, more sensitive to joy, uh, more open to connection with other people and can help you recover from things like um, depression or grief or trauma. And what I love about that is, first of all, it's amazing to think that hope can start in your muscles. That's why they're called hope molecules because they're like literally the little messengers of hope but they start through physical action. This this, uh, this capacity that your body has to support you when you choose to engage with life in this embodied way. But I also love it because you know, as soon as I start talking about things like hope molecules, people will start talking about metaphors like putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward in life. Um, and you know, sensing your own strength. And it also points to how deeply psychological movement can be that it's both at this molecular level, but also it's, it's this way of understanding who we are and how we are in the world. And so I think like when you have the mind body connection at those two spectrums, you start to understand how powerful it can be.
0: Yeah, no, I really like the visual of that too, right? Because if you're thinking, you're like, oh, you know, I really want more hope. You're like, well, it's something that I could actually build in me too. Like you kind of feel like you have more power over it too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I know that you shared a little bit of your like personal journey of like finding exercise, but then how did you go into actually studying this and like wanting to learn more about this? Like, how do you heard from other people, mind body connection, or did you kind of like figure it out for yourself?
1: When I went to graduate school to get my PhD in psychology, I was very interested in the mind body relationship because I've been spending all this time, like, you know, trying to just figure myself out. And so I got started studying how emotions affect the body. We were literally, we were like having romantic couples come into the laboratory and fight and look at how their anger was affecting their heart rate and their blood pressure and how like my anger affects your heart rate and blood pressure, you know, it's fun stuff. So that's sort of how I got started in it. But while I was learning how to do this kind of research and we were, you know, strapping blood pressure cuffs on people. At the same time i was also um, diving deeper into yoga and dance education and i was experiencing through dance and through yoga you know these direct effects on my own well-being and so i sort of independently started to try to figure out you know why is it that when i move my body to music it's so empowering it's so liberating and so what i've what i've done since then, because that was, you know, I was in grad school uh, more than 20 years ago. What I've done since then is just sort of apply that way of thinking, trying to understand, trying to find the science that sheds light on our own direct experiences so that I can create positive experiences for other people. And I can give people a language for understanding why something is valuable or meaningful. Like I want somebody who's trying to understand, like, is it, is it selfish or is it important enough for me to go to the gym and do powerlifting? I want that person at the gym to be able to say, this matters because when I challenge myself here, I am developing a confidence that's going to let me take on challenges in every aspect of my life. And this is the you know the 20 minutes, the 40 minutes of the day where I'm standing in my own strength and this matters. Like I, I, I want to be able to give people a language for um, for learning to trust themselves in their direct experiences and movement.
0: Yeah. I love that so much. You know, obviously I'm a fitness enthusiast. I have my own podcast about it, but it's still like tough to put into words. Like, okay, so I enjoy it, but like, how does that then translate to someone else? So the fact that you said, yeah, you're creating a language of like being able to explain that. That's awesome.
1: There is, you know, so when I, when I wrote the joy of movement, part of my mission was to put certain language out into the world that would change the way people think about movement and the way that fitness professionals would think about what they're doing so hope molecules is one of them but also collective joy and i'd say i was even listening to another podcast today and i the podcast host uh, was using this language and i was like yes she is she is telling fitness professionals that the most important thing they can do is create experiences of collective joy through synchronized movement with other people into music. And this is the, you know, you've probably experienced this yourself, but when you move in synchrony to music, or when you move in synchrony with your breath, or in synchrony with other people, or better yet, like all of it at once, <laughs> um, that it releases endorphins and endocannabinoids and all these amazing feel good chemicals, but it also creates the sense of being connected to something bigger than yourself it creates a sense of empowerment and hope. And it's one of the reasons why I love teaching group movement experiences. So, so yeah, I think language language is important and science is important because sometimes if we can't really describe something um, it's hard to, to uh, allow ourselves to embrace these things that are so important, but can be hard to describe.
0: Yeah. And I love that you have brought up music, because I think that it's a really overlooked part. I didn't think too much about it, you know, especially in sports practice, you don't have that music aspect. But you said that that relates a lot to, you know, like connecting yourself to something else. Can you talk more about that music component and like how people should use that to their benefit? Oh,
1: well, that's so funny, because, you know, one of the experts that I talked to, uh, Costas Car Georgis, only works with athletes. You know, he's so interesting. He helps athletes pick everything from like the hype up song they listen to right before competition to the music that they train to, to like music that will become the team anthem. They listen together while they're traveling to, to some competition. Uh, so there's definitely lots of ways to use music, but you know, for the typical person, one way to think about it is first of all, music is an invitation to move. So when you listen to music you like, your brain activates the movement circuits of your brain in ways that, that just make you wanna move, that give you energy, that give you adrenaline and dopamine, and, and also uh, empower you to work harder, to be faster, to be stronger. So there's something that is, uh, something that's described as being ergogenic, like it literally gives you energy and it helps you do hard things. So music is like that in some way, it's like a performance enhancing drug. It can make you want to move. And then when you're actually moving, it empowers you to, to move, better and to enjoy it more or to even go beyond what your what your capacity would be otherwise without music. That's actually some really fun studies where they look at like how long can someone endure if they're listening to a song that they like and it's longer or they have greater physical strength. And I definitely use that all the time in my own classes. But you can also think of music as something that creates a frame of meaning around what you're doing. So like do you do you have a song that you would listen to that would make you feel a certain way about yourself? Like, like, that's a real question to you. Like, do you have songs that make you feel like who you want to be or how you want to feel? Like what, tell me, because I love music. Tell me one of them.
0: Oh, I don't know. My usual go-to is just all the Taylor Swift, even though it'll be like a song about heartbreak and I'm like not going through it. It still just like makes me like feel my emotions more instead of just like blocking them out, I feel like. Yeah,
1: so, so this is great. So you could, you know, create a playlist that has... Taylor Swift songs and other songs like that. And even if you were doing the most boring workout in the world, and my apologies to anyone who loves like a a treadmill walk, but like something like we're going to strip away the things that can make exercise really exciting. Like if you were hiking in the wilderness with a beautiful view, or if you were racing against somebody else, like we just strip it all away and you're just moving, but you've got the soundtrack that makes you feel a certain way about yourself or the world, it changes the meaning of it. And so all of a sudden you're tapping into that part of yourself and what you're doing, there's like a story that you can tell about, you'll have that sense of being sort of fully you, authentic in your emotions and you're moving your body. So you're connected to that vitality. Um, and so there's another way to think about music with exercise is it's putting the frame of meaning around the experience that you want. And that makes people much more likely to enjoy it and also want to do it more, whatever it is.
0: Yeah. No, it's funny because as you're saying these now, I'm like, Oh, I do do that, but it was all subconsciously. Like I did have, you know, the same playlist that I'd listened to on the way to my races. And I do have the playlist that I like listen to on my walk to work. And it it does put me in that mood. And now it's like, Oh, but I could do that to anything. I could also do that to my workout.
1: I know you can, I mean, you can do it like literally before anything. I mean, I have a very specific song that I wake up to in the morning because I know it's hard to get out of bed. And so I know I've got about a nine minute song and I can usually drag myself out of bed by the end of the nine minutes. So I think like, Kelly, what are you exposing yourself to? Because I'm going to be like singing like as my my unconsciousness is trying to reach for consciousness. I know I'm singing along to that song in my head. So I've got just the right song. Uh, (laughs) but yeah, you could do it for workouts. You could do it for when you're getting ready for work in the morning. You could do it as a, a ritual as you're, you know, transitioning to some other part of your day.
0: Yeah. I love that. And then jumping to another part of your book too, that I think is super interesting is that most people have heard about like runner's high before, but in your book, you go even deeper than that. And you say that different forms of exercise can mimic other things like ecstasy and LSD, other mind performance. So can you talk about that a little bit more?
1: Yeah. So the way that I sort of, I stumbled upon this analogy is it's interesting because we often think about things like like ecstasy or opioids and heroin and alcohol and cannabis and like all these things as like somehow they're the natural high, but they only exist in nature because they hijack something that's already available in your brain and in your body, right? So your brain and body have this natural capacity to produce different forms of pleasure and highs and, and all of that. And in these drugs, they're sort of, they exist in nature because they found a way to hijack it. Um, And what's interesting is that different forms of movement also seem to selectively give us access to different kinds of joys and pleasures and highs. Um, So for example, the class of drugs that are called entheogens, which are uh, like spiritual drugs, things like ayahuasca and mushrooms and LSD, Drugs that are, are thought to, to help you transcend your sense of self, transcend your ego. It's, there are you know, lots of things people will say about these drugs. Um, exercising in nature has a very similar effect on the brain. Um, and you can actually see changes in the activity of the brain that really look like this kind of deep spiritual experience or enlightenment that you can get from you know going for a hike, being outdoors, swimming in nature. Um, I mentioned collective joy. That's my favorite form of exercise high. And that is, that looks a lot like ecstasy and that it's releasing all the feel-good chemicals, but also the chemicals in your brain that are associated with feeling connected to other people. Like it's that euphoria of being at a rave. uh, That's back in my days. We know that that movement that is more like jogging, flow yoga, a kind of consistent effort that is not sort of all you can possibly do. It's just, it's staying engaged. Your heart is pumping that that produces a high very similar to cannabis and by releasing endocannabinoids and endorphins that make you feel calmer and yet also uh, hopeful and optimistic. And because it's not cannabis, it's natural levels, you actually tend to be also very energized and social and uh, it, it supports really engaging with other people and engaging with goals in a way that's really useful. And I could go on and on, there's all sorts of different comparisons like that. But the thing I think is so neat about this is that it reveals how movements give us access to these positive instincts that we have in ways that are really healthy, that we can design our lives around if we need it. Like you can find the medicine that's right for you. There's a reason why people who struggle with depression and anxiety often love exercising outdoors because it is so profoundly um, quieting of all that stuff in the mind. There's a reason why people like me who deal with social anxiety are going to love something like collective joy because it just erases all of the, you know, the worries and the lack of confidence and all of that. Um, there's, there's, anyways, so there's a, a form of movement that's gonna be the right antidote to whatever your um, sort of instincts around unhappiness are, or how you get in your own way.
0: Yeah. No, it's really interesting. And I just want to clarify too. So is this like different for each person, kind of the feeling that we'll get after, or is it kind of universal of like the outdoors will do this for everyone? Yeah. this. I mean,
1: it's pretty universal, but I also think, so some things are very individual. So for example, I grew up uh, in cities for me, being in nature means like walking along Riverside Drive in New York city, not in like the wilderness somewhere where I'm going to be terrified because I don't see a skyline. So, you know, it's, it depends on what makes you feel inspired and where you feel like you have the resources to handle whatever the the natural environment is. Um, Same thing with music. If you are moving to music that you love, it is going to give you an endorphin an adrenaline and a dopamine rush that feels it's often, you know, compared to things like amphetamines. I mean, it's just like amazing, by the way, I should say, I have not taken all these drugs, so I don't know for, let's, let's not, I don't want to pretend like I'm an expert on all of these, these substances, Um, but as the idea that it's so energizing uh, to move to music you enjoy, but for you, it's Taylor Swift. For me, it might be Todrick Hall. It's going to be a little bit different for every person. And so I think it's the same thing is true with all of that. I get collective joy in flow yoga classes and dance classes. You might get collective joy running side by side uh, you know, on a, a track with other people who are also running the track, or you might get collective joy by being in a community garden and everyone's digging and moving things
0: at the same time. Yeah. No, I love that. You're like, this is from a scientific perspective, not an anecdotal of I've done all this, <laughs> but okay. So I feel like we're working backwards here. So we found joy at the end of like doing the movement and then you experience this at the end after the workout during the workout we talked about like with the music during the workout and now I want to talk about like the before like the lead up to the workout are you of the belief that like you should do a workout that you always like feel excited for and joyful for or do you kind of think like you have to kind of show up because you know it's good for you in some ways have you have you heard of a term called like the wanting gap so
1: there's a lot of things that um, either are good for you or that you will enjoy, but often the desire to do it does not kick in until you're actually doing it. And this can be true for any activity that is either pleasurable or quote unquote good for you. And in fact, people often underestimate how good they'll feel from doing things like this. And this is very true for movement. So you know, there are studies where they ask people even, just, even people who are showing up to the gym, so they chose to do it, how good do you think you'll feel after your workout? People almost always underestimate. And, uh, and in part, this is because exercise or movement is a huge state change, just like anything else that's good for you could be, like getting some fresh air or talking to a friend when you're feeling really overwhelmed um, or cooking a, a great, delicious, healthy meal for yourself and sharing it with others, rather than just sort of eating what's the easiest, most convenient snack these things that take a little bit of effort that are good for us, often the reason they're so great is they dramatically change your state of mind. So if you're not in that state of mind yet, it is really, it's really hard to even imagine how you're going to feel afterwards. You're in the state of mind that doesn't want to do it. That feels exhausted, that feels anxious, that feels overwhelmed, that feels self-doubt. And so one of the things that's really important to do is to understand how the, to find the forms of movement, as well as any behaviors, any positive behaviors, Find the ones that are the antidote to the things that get in the way of doing them and start to understand them as that, you know, I mentioned how hard it is for me to get up in the morning when COVID hit and we became very isolated where I live. We, we had the earliest lockdowns and they were very severe. I was so depressed. And that is when I started exercising first thing in the morning, because even though I'm least likely to want to exercise when I first wake up was because I didn't feel hope until I exercised. So if I waited until later in the day, I could go through the whole day feeling that kind of loneliness and despair. So you don't have to feel like it. You also don't even have to enjoy it. I should say, I think there are different ways to enjoy movement, but sometimes people think I should only, I should look for the form of movement that will always be comfortable. I'll never, you know, get out of breath or I'll never, you know, have a, a failure experience. Like I try to lift something and I can't lift it or I try to learn a, a combination and I don't get the choreography right. You're allowed to be uncomfortable. You're allowed to fail. That can be part of how we have a positive exercise experience. So I, I would say that when you pay attention to its ultimate effect on you, does it make you feel good about yourself? Does it make you feel good about your life? Does it make you feel better about the world? And does it support your ability to do the the other things that matter to you also? And that's how you'll know it's the right workout, whether or not you love every single second of it. Or if you're like me and you're doing high intensity interval training, you hate the first five minutes, you tolerate like the next 20 minutes. And the last five minutes, you're like, yeah, it takes a while to get there.
0: Yeah, no, that's so like reassuring to hear too, you know, we're talking about the joy of movement, but you might not feel that joy at the beginning, or you might have to like give that little push of yourself to get there. But as you said, you know, it is like brain altering and you don't get that until afterwards. Like you're not even starting in that same mind space. So I'd love to hear from your perspective too. What do you think people are the most shocked to find out when they read your book? Like what is the most surprising fact that maybe people aren't aware of? So I'll tell you what I was most surprised by there were two things.
1: One is that intensity matters. And I was kind of hoping that wasn't true (laughs) because one of the first things that people always say to me is they don't want to work hard. And like, it's people often, because we know you don't have to, to get a lot of the benefits of movement, you know, a couple of minutes of very light intensity movement of any kind is going to boost your mood and energy. But I kept finding in the science evidence that if you want really life altering Effects from movement. If you are using movement as uh, a, an adjunct to other forms of treatment for things like depression or trauma, right? if you're really looking for the big dose, the big effect, doing more and doing things that are harder really seem to help. And that's true at the psychological level. It's true at the social level. Like you'll be more likely to form close bonds with the people you're moving with when the activity you're doing is harder than when it's really not as, as difficult. It's true at the level of those hope molecules, how, they, how, much, how many of them get released into your bloodstream. It's true in terms of the changes that you see in people's brains that support mental health and joy. So um, that was surprising to me because it just was so consistent everywhere I looked at it. Um, so now I'm, what I'm trying to do is be brave and tell people like, yeah, you, you might want to try something harder, something that's outside your comfort zone, but still is safe for your body. And I started to do that myself. I mentioned hit, I was not doing hit when I wrote the book, (laughs) let's put it that way. Um, and then the other thing that really surprised me is I knew that movement was really social for me because I teach group classes. also i thought well maybe that's just me because i've always found community and belonging in in those environments but when i talk to everybody people who primarily train on their own but then you know go do races or um people who their their main form of exercise is, is like community service when i talk to to cyclists and strength train people who strength train I just kept getting the feedback that what they most valued about movement was the relationships that they built around it and the communities that were formed around it. And um, I, I came to understand that there's something about movement that helps us form bonds in ways that are a little bit different than the relationships we can form at work or in an activity that's more casual, like over drinks and meals, because exercise often brings out the best in us and also asks us, to to help others to encourage others, to let others praise us and celebrate us. there's the fact that we're actually moving together and sharing a goal that forms interesting kinds of mutual support relationships and communities of belonging.
0: Yeah no that is so interesting with that intensity piece and I think that's kind of you know that hard love that we need to hear sometimes because it's like when you, First start with the exercise, it is uncomfortable, but then you get into a routine and you get comfortable and you kind of want to chill there, right? Like you're like, this feels good. But then as you mentioned, you know, for those maximum results in all areas, you know, we do have to go outside that comfort zone. So I think that's so interesting too. Yeah.
1: And the good thing is it's all relative. So it's, it's not like you have to be free of injuries, free of disabilities. You can be any size. You can be starting from a place of, of not being fit. The intensity is about putting yourself in a place where your body is challenged, and the body responds and the brain responds. And it's not some objective measure of speed or strength or time. So when you start where you are, it's more about that that choice that you're making to uh, to, to let yourself be challenged. And particularly when it's an activity that you ha- find meaningful. Because the thing I should mention, and we were talking about how exercise can be like a drug. Your brain rewards you for exercise when it thinks the activity you're doing is meaningful because of course your brain didn't evolve to reward you for exercise. It's, it's adapted to, to reward you for doing things that are hard but important, like finding food and protecting your loved ones, you know, that sort of thing. So if you're doing a workout and the whole time you're thinking, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this your brain is going to be like, all right, well, I'm not rewarding you with that. You're not going to get an exercise high. You want your, you want some part of you to be thinking, all right, this is hard, but I like that. It makes me feel like a fighter or this is hard, but like, I'm really looking forward to the day when I cross the finish line of this half marathon I'm training for.
0: Yeah, no, I've never thought of it like that. That's so awesome. Well, i love this whole conversation. Thank you so much for coming on Kelly. Where can people find you your book, all of that?
1: Well, the book is The Joy of Movement and uh, my website is kellymcgonigle.com and uh, on Instagram is where I'm most likely to see any messages people send. That's Kelly Marie McGonigle
0: uh, on Instagram. Awesome, and I'll link it all below. Thanks for joining us, Kelly.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c sweetradio.com.